What's happening, everybody? This is Bobby Borg, a.k.a. Professor, and you're listening to your Morning Coffee, the podcast with your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart, weekly music news for the new music business. How TikTok chooses which songs go viral. What does it mean to fix streaming? The truth behind Apple Music's higher payouts, plus five key takeaways from its open letter to artists. Three facts about streaming music payouts. These stories and more, and a little bit of an apology from me for last week, I'll explain on this edition of the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air. 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 Standing by. Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, happy, happy day to you, Jay Gilbert. Nice to see you, you, my friend. Same to you, uh, Mia Culpa. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. So a bit about my apologies. So if you happen to, well, just a backstory, a little bit of a backstory. So Jay and I record when we record and then I usually edit it and upload it. And we were, we were, we did it differently last time. We usually do Sunday mornings. In fact, this time we're doing it different. We're on Saturday mornings recording, but uh, we did it Friday morning last week. And so then I got around to it on Sunday and then I upload it and then it goes live 4 a.m. Monday morning, California time. What could go wrong? Uh, what could go wrong? What could go wrong with that? So, and this one, and that one, we, we we had a little song in it. So there was a little bit more editing that I usually have to do. And what I foolishly did was renamed it the same name as your file that you sent me with just your your voiceover on it. And so Jay and I each record uh, separately on our own computers in our offices or studios. And then I join them together and when I edit. And so I foolishly named the pod, the full podcast, the same name as Jay's file. And so if you got onto it early that morning, <laughs> you would have just heard Jay. <laughs> and it was just so, by chance, you know, I go for a walk in the morning and I just thought I'd listen to it because you and I have been tweaking my mic settings. And I just want to see what it sounded like. And it was just me. I couldn't hear you. And there was no <laughs> The intro. mic sounded great. <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> but texting you at, you know, five in the morning, uh, Mike. <laughs> uh, and I and, and I rarely look at my phone that in the morning, but I like I literally rolled over for some reason. Maybe I heard the the I don't know. I just looked at it and I'm like I just had that sinking feeling. I'm like, oh shit. And I kind of knew in my head, I'm like Oh, I bet I, and of course I did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so if you happen to uh, be wherever you are and you f- and you first checked it out and there was 
just Jay's melodious voice. Yeah. Uh, just try it again. Everything we else. got fixed. It's <laughs> it the, got the fixed. right version is up. <laughs> it's all good. Yes, indeed. How about Bobby Borg there doing yeah. an intro, intro for us this morning? Yeah, Bobby is a, uh, for those that don't know, he's a professional drummer, amongst other things. Mm-hmm. You know, he's played drums for Warrant, Beggars and Thieves, Left for Dead, to name a few. He's an educator, writer. Um, I've guest lectured at his UCLA music business class uh, many times, and we actually collaborated on a chapter in his latest book, Music Marketing for the DIY Musician, second edition. Check it out. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. All great stuff. And again, you know, the, the plethora of wonderful um, uh, streams of information for, for people now in the, in, that are releasing their own music. Yeah. And yeah, check out his YouTube channel. There's so many channel. resources out there. His YouTube channel oh, yeah. is ridiculous. He's got so yeah. many great tips and tricks and lessons and knowledge and interviews. It's a really great uh, resource. Bobby Borg. Check it out. Thanks, Bobby. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. Uh, well, Jay, how, by the way, the guy that you're listening to right now, he, of course, is Mr. Jay Gilbert. He is the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which is weekly music news for the new music business, as is our podcast. And he's a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music, and Fox Home Entertainment. And he is a patient soul who texts very early in the morning when <laughs> boo-boos happen. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and Mike here is a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. And we should also thank our super, super groovy uh, sponsors, Jay, because, boy, without them, we certainly would be... Uh, We'd be in hot water. <laughs> we'd be crying. We'd be crying. Sorry about the little gap there. It's it's freezing up here a little bit, so hopefully yeah. uh, you can hear me okay. Uh, your I Morning Coffee uh, podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, like hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, Tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, <clears throat> excuse me, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, to get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com. Promo code Morning Coffee. And huge thanks to HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton. With help from Owen Davis, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by Live Music Discovery and Marketing Platform. Bands in Town, one of my all-time favorite apps on my phone. Bands in Town, over 55 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 530,000 artists and their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Big thanks to yeah. Bands in Town, Hypebots, Bandzoogle. Man, we sure appreciate it. We really appreciate we, it. 
We sure do. So we do. Our our first story today um, is how TikTok chooses which songs go viral, and this is by Shelley Banjo at Bloomberg Business Week. And before we dig in, I looked up a few uh, TikTok fun facts. Um, <laughs> one is <laughs> let me hear them. Yeah, TikTok has. 73, I'm sorry, 739 million global users who spend an average of 89 minutes watching videos every day. That's a massive footprint, right? Um, Amazing. 100 million of TikTok's users are in the United States, so most of it's ex-US. 694,000 videos are viewed on TikTok every minute. Uh, TikTok's audience is young, but probably not as young as you think. 42% are between the ages of 18 and 24, and 22% are between the ages of 25 and 34. So, you know, this story kind of um, sheds a spotlight on this app and how um, the hits seem to emerge organically. But the success of artists like Megan Thee Stallion they reveal kind of a highly managed curation process. And really the bottom line is social media has never been as spontaneous as we think it, it is. Um, right. And TikTok's management of its platform, they're particularly active and with executives pulling the levers uh, on what they call this hit-making machine. Well, you know, and, and a bunch of stuff. By the way, this is an article that was in uh, Bloomberg Business Week, and uh, in fact, it was written as you mentioned, Shelly Banjo. Um, by the way, Shelly Banjo is that her real name? That's a great name to be writing music. Not articles. as good as uh, Dave Cool from Banzoogle. Well, that's true. That's he's right. got the, the best name in the business. <laughs> he's got the best name in the business, actually. But Shelly's coming up second. Pretty cool. With, a, yeah. with an equally cool name. Uh, what I didn't realize uh, a, a great line in here. So, so and the the the. Uh, platform was started by a chap named Alex Zhu. I believe that's the pronunciation of his mm-hmm. name, Z-H-U. Um, and it said, you know, although tech companies have, awful cl- have often clashed with record labels, Zhu's plan was always to work with the music industry rather than disrupt it. Mm-hmm. Zhu, who was 36 at the time, obsessively tracked user behavior, even registering fake accounts to interact with elementary and middle school kids. Okay, that's a little bit that's creepy a little... right there. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that's a good thing, but... <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he personally courted rising stars by calling them and their parents at home and taking their families out to dinner. Wow. So, oh, of course, he, wouldn't, he, he wasn't actually commenting for this that article. Is but it, that is commitment. But it's interesting how, and, he, and it says he kind of started, he got the idea, but he, he worked in Silicon Valley. And uh, he was on a train ride through Silicon Valley in 2014. He was fascinated by the American teenagers listening to music and shooting video on their phones. And that was kind of the, the, the impetus for him to create the app. So, you know, unlike other apps, again, that are trying to really kind of disrupt things, he was really from the beginning. Uh, that's a rarity. He wanted to work a total rarity. Exactly. And so, and I didn't even know that, you know, I should have known that, but I didn't, I didn't know, know that. that. So what, what an interesting way of, of starting the article, but also mentioning that kind of from the beginning, this was really created with that, with that in mind. Yeah. So that, I, that is really cool. Cause we were talking about um, Spotify last week. They didn't start out that way. They ended not up working with the majors and striking licensing deals, but that's not you know how they started the platform. So you're absolutely right. right. That is like a unicorn in this business. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And 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 um, it's just interesting. It's really interesting the way they kind of did it. But again, as you said, you know there there is. Um, 
there is lots of things going on in the background mm-hmm. that you wouldn't necessarily know about to think, because certainly with like Twitter and Facebook, it's much more organic and there's not nearly that sort of attention paid to rising, yeah. uh, you know, to, to kind of helping things along. Yeah, maybe but, it's more algorithmically helped or managed where it sounds like with this, it's less about that and it's more about uh, TikTok working with artists and labels and managers and kind of knowing what their audience is going to react to and then helping them create an advertising plan and how to drive traffic and how to best exploit what they're doing. It's a lot more... Um, surgical and deliberate than I would have imagined. Absolutely. As they say here, executives in Los Angeles and Beijing, which is where ByteDance, now that's the parent company that, that owns uh, TikTok, were founded, left little up to chance. TikTok assigned individual managers to thousands of stars to help with everything, whether tech support or college tuition, inspiring a sense of loyalty among creators. TikTok regularly advises popular creators on which hashtags and features are important wow. to the app and its advertisers, Smart. who are often guaranteed a minimum number of views per campaign. TikTok also connects creators with brands and musicians, which regularly results in paid partnerships. So, there's a lot going on back yeah, there. Yeah, that is really fascinating. Yeah, and I was kind of stunned. So let's 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 assign some dollars to this, shall we, Jay? <laughs> uh, so the top users receive weekly emails with instructions on which videos to make to increase their exposure. Says Gabby Murray, who herself is a 19-year-old TikTok creator from Florida with 8.5 million followers, who makes about twenty thousand dollars a month on TikTok. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, that's pretty stunning. She mm-hmm. actually tested it out. She says of a mirror filter her manager asked her to promote that allows users to clone their face. The videos did super well. It wasn't something I would typically post, but I just wanted to try it out because she said so. A tick, yeah. So again, they're 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 talking about kind of all this action going on in the background and this proactive approach TikTok t- takes to uh, you know to to get everything happening for their artists, which is. I mean, it's just pretty amazing because it's so, so I'm going to say it's not organic. It's that, that's, it's not organic, no. I suppose, but it's, but it's, but that sounds kind of negative in the sense that then, but it's just, it's a different approach. They have to, a lot more control than I would have imagined. And yes. I know because I spend a little bit of time on TikTok because I have artists on there and I like to see what they're posting mm-hmm. and I like to see what it feeds me based on, you know, my habits. And there's yeah. a lot of fun stuff uh, on TikTok. And like like we said earlier, it's not just, you know, 16-year-old dance videos. There are videos for any kind of interest you have. Um, and I encourage people to kind of search around and, and see. But I love watching what it recommends for me. Like I'll just keep flipping through it. And some of these things are absolutely hilarious. Um, there's some with these makeup artists that are just mind blowing what they do with, uh, like theatrical makeup. Um, I saw a few of those and I love looking at the way they use music in these short clips. Mm -hmm. It's, it's fascinating. And I've seen it with our artists that, you can grow an audience fairly quickly with with TikTok, faster than most other platforms. Twitch is another one where you can grow an audience fairly quickly. But you can get, you know, if people start reacting to your video, um, it it moves pretty quickly. Now, have you have you come across artists who it doesn't really work for for whatever reason? No, 
No. no. Um, I, I belong to this management collective, and, and we had a gentleman on talking about adults and TikTok and how some of the videos he's been doing um, were doing really well. Um, but I haven't found anyone who hasn't been able to connect with some type of an audience uh, on TikTok. I think the the thing you have to remember is it's not going to happen in a vacuum. You have to drive traffic. You have to tell people about it. You know, use your other socials. Um, maybe post some of the videos that you're doing on YouTube and on your socials and tease it out and get people to follow you uh, on mm-hmm. TikTok. But uh, you know, I was looking at this this little chart here. They they said that you know in 2020, uh, TikTok was the most downloaded app globally. Now, this list excludes games. So just for apps, it was the number one downloaded app. Above Facebook, yeah. above, above Instagram, above Snapchat, above Netflix. Absolutely. What I also found interesting about the article was was the way... So so Megan Thee Stallion, her real name is Megan Pete. Um, but they were talking about her label, 300 Entertainment, 300 Entertainment mm-hmm. working with TikTok to promote the album Sugar last year, right before the pandemic hit. The label initially picked a focus of its campaign, a song called Captain Hook. But TikTok urged the label to put five tracks on the platform to monitor various metrics before committing to a particular song single. Almost immediately, TikTok users took to another track called Savage. Uh, And so they basically used the app to choose, and which was actually pretty damn smart, because how many times have we heard over the years, absolutely, you know, where in the old days of, of, you know, flip-sided, where a a single goes out and they flip it over, and it it turns out that was the track that really resonated far more than the first track. So So many times. Very... Very so many times. Very creative way though of using the app to basically have the users tell you what the focus track should be. I think so. that is what the way it should be. Um, if you'll remember yeah. back when illegal file trading first started uh, blowing up, like 1998, 99, right, right around and then. Um, th- there was this really cool company that came out of that called Big Champagne that oh, Eric yes. Garland uh, Eric was, Garland, was running yeah, of course. And, and, uh, with his partner Ethan. And what was really cool about Big Champagne is they tracked uh, peer-to-peer file trading, but they did it by DMA, um, Designated Marketing Area, just like SoundScan uh, did at the mm-hmm. time. And so they could see what was actually being listened to, you know, shared, stolen, however you want to put it. And they brought that information to the labels, and they got escorted out of the building at most of them until Jimmy Iovine said, hang on a second. You can track what listeners are actually you know, downloading? Stealing. stealing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. And, and that was so smart because just like TikTok, they could go in and say, okay, we're going to release this as our next single. But then they'd look at big champagne data and go, you know what? That's not the track that people are gravitating towards. It's yeah. this one. And it changed the game a lot. So people use data and analytics for this purpose all the time. But when you have that many millions of users, just think of all that great data that you have. So with Megan Thee Stallion, you put all these tracks out. Here's the one that people are really connecting to. And let's make that our focus track. Brilliant. Yeah, exactly. 
and it went to number one, strangely <laughs> enough. So how about that? Uh, apparently the people knew what they were talking about. Um, great article. I mean, I, I, it was I, just a bunch of stuff I didn't know about TikTok and um, from the beginning of it. And of course, it, you know, if you you remember last year or was it last, no two years ago, when did it get all kind of caught up in the political that was last year. maelstrom yeah. Of, of, yeah, of Chinese owned company yeah. and had to divest and the, yeah, the then exactly. president was on the warpath to, you know, get it to, uh, you know, be partially owned by the U by a U.S. company. And yeah, what a mess. It was a mess, but, uh, you know, they, they were wise to kind of wait it out. And, um, and here we are and boy, very interesting, <laughs> worth reading. And <laughs> it's just a get a, there's so many things you don't know, you know, yeah. just uh, it's certainly you know about the, the app, but all the backstory and, and of course, the way different labels and artists are using it. Fantastic. Article, yeah, so. I, I love seeing how the sausage is made, so to speak, with all of these platforms, <laughs> like what's in yeah. your algorithm and had and this was really great because I learned so much about how TikTok uh, ticks, pun intended. It was just one yes. final thought. There's a really great piece in uh, Symphonic's blog. Um, titled Where to Find Detailed Analytics for TikTok. And that's in your morning coffee. I encourage everybody, if you're into TikTok, there's some really great um, places where you can get data about what you're doing on TikTok. So you might want to check that out. Yeah, exactly. Great stuff. All right, moving on, Jay. This from uh, Midia. What does it mean to fix streaming? <laughs> there's been so much conversation with us and of course others right. about you know how to make it better how to fix it um but what exactly does it mean and uh this is by keith jopling and he basically he he wrote a, a blog piece back in january mm -hmm. that he coined the term song economy yep which, as he says, at the time, he saw that as a good thing, a major growth driver for the music industry to increase the value of songs, requiring bigger marketing strategies and, in turn, more consumption of those songs. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> and then everything A little, a quick changed. little background on Keith. Um, uh -huh. Not only is he a, uh, an analyst writer for Midia, um, but... He he's written some amazing pieces. He also curates the Song Sommelier, which oh, that's right, all those great playlists. I mean, I listen to them all the time. So if you haven't checked out the Song Sommelier, do yourself a favor. There's some of the best playlists out there. They have beautiful artwork, and there's so many great artists that he's done the deep dive into. But uh, Keith is a friend. He's someone I reach out to from time to time. Uh, one of the the good guys in the digital space. <laughs> And I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that he coined that term, uh, song economy, because you see that so much uh, these days. And there's been so much conversation about how do you fix streaming? And he kind of digs into this. Um, there is um, another report um, that's out, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, but the, the gentleman's name is Bjorn Olvius. And uh, he wrote this, uh, this piece uh, for Midia called Rebalancing the Song Economy, you know, where he dissects, you know, all of the current issues with the streaming ecosystem. And it's, it's kind of broken out into three parts. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about this. So yeah. he's also got a TED Talk that's going to be out soon. Um, so I, I can't wait to, to see that. But so he outlines three fixes you know, for this broken song economy and, and advocates that these things happen to make um, significant impact. One 
is fan-centric royalties, an approach that will bring much-needed fairness and can build on the important starts made by Deezer and SoundCloud. Now, for those that don't know, you know, your the way that you're paid on streaming is from a pool of money and by market share. It's this pro rata model and it varies from month to month. So typically when you see an article that says this DSP uh, pays this much, it's kind of a general sense. It's not really that accurate. And this fan-centric or user-centric is really more that if if you and I, Mike, if we listen to Steely Dan all month long and we pay $9.99 for our subscription, they'd get our $9.99. That's kind of an right. oversimplified way of doing that. But it, but haven't we heard from, from others that say even if you went to that, it's not going to make that much difference? Yes, yeah, there was a piece. Now, I don't... Yeah. I don't. I don't understand that. I don't understand the 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 math enough to to agree or disagree with that statement. But but do you do you think that is is a fairly well, accurate statement? I read that one article and we covered it. Uh, there are people, smart people, that say that by switching to fan centric slash user centric, that it wouldn't make that much different. But the majority of the articles that I've read. Um, claim that it will, that it will definitely help. So that's number one. Number two, streaming pricing. You know, $9.99 could easily become $11.99 and perhaps even $12.99. If you look at the history of music configurations, um, there's a, a really great book by... Um, by Steve Knopper called Appetite for Self-Destruction uh, about the music yeah. industry. And he talks about how CDs, you know, started off at like twelve ninety nine, and then just started creeping up every single year. And it got to where it was like an 1898 list. And, you know, they were making, it was like they had a license to print money. Anyway, so streaming at nine ninety nine is a bargain. I mean, you have access yeah. to, you know, 70 million tracks. Um, and, and the fact that Spotify still has its um, ad-based or free tier. So I think that that's, that's a good point, that streaming could be um, making more revenue with, with higher pricing. And then the last one is rights registration. You know, it says here, uh, wherever the 65,000 new songs a day. So that's, that's a new number. We've been saying 60. It seems like every week or yeah. two we get a new number. It keeps going up. Yeah, so now 65,000 new songs uploaded a day uh, to the DSPs. Um, it says that there should be a user-friendly registration, you know, like portal to make sure that all the relevant information about the work is captured. And listen, I couldn't agree with that more. There are really great companies out there like Rovi slash TiVo that have all of this amazing data. So there's really no excuse for all of us to get on the same page when it comes to metadata. And that's not just song title, publishing splits. That's like sidemen. And yeah. producers, engineers, there's no reason why we can't go on to our favorite DSP and say, oh, you know, well, I like Chris Lord Alge. I want to see everything that he's engineered or produced or everything that Brett James has written. We can't do that today. And that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, you know, if, if we how hard do you think it would be for for the for the majors, the major streaming services to to roll to fan-centric royalties boy i don't know yeah i mean anything like that i'm just this is just me guessing um when you're talking about those types of changes 
Um, it could be massive because you have to change all I, of I your would imagine systems be, and right uh, algorithms oh and, and, and yeah back back office stuff. I, I, I would know, imagine it would be, but it sounds like it would be a beast. Yeah, exactly. So so that is, uh, you know. Now, however, could they be forced to do it? I, I don't know. Um, well, two of them um, are already doing it. You know, with with Deezer and SoundCloud. So sure. maybe we can see. Um, did it, it didn't break their bank. Um, we'll see if it makes a difference and someone's going to do the analysis and it'll probably be media to see if it's a substantial difference. And if it is, um, I can see a groundswell of, you know, people wanting this to happen. Exactly. And then on pricing, uh, you know, it's, I mean, we've, I think there was shortly, shortly before or around the time I I got in the, in the industry, you know, back in the late eighties, there was, there was, things were going up in price and there was always a pushback. So at 999, you're right. It's a ridiculous deal. Uh, Is, is 1199 going to change things in terms of, of losing customers, pushback? I mean, to me, I noticed, by the way, since the pandemic, everything has gone up. Food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm getting a new roof on my house. Lumber has tripled in the last year. Steel has tripled. Everything is more expensive. You know, it's probably now is the time to do that because everything has gone up. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, for some people, I, 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 I guess I still believe that music is people will bounce back and forth between various, as we've talked about over the, over the various episodes, uh, you know, television and, and movie streaming services. Mm-hmm. I think people will bounce around between those. I think somebody's always going to have music and the difference between 999 and 1199 will not push them away. That's my I, I think assumption. you're right. And I think, I mean, honestly, I think it should be closer to 1499 because it, mm-hmm. that's the full price. Remember, there's also free trials. There's student discounts. Yeah. There's all sorts of things that kind of drive that ARPU, you know, average revenue per user <laughs> down. And whether it's the ad-based or any of those other things I mentioned. So... Yeah, I, I do think that that's that's a really key point. And, you know, one of the things that they, they go on to mention, or Keith mentions here, is that artists and songwriters can't just remain pawns in the game to be pushed around and used up by the industry's power players. Some artists have a course uh, t- uh, around, I'm sorry, to, to become power players themselves. Taylor Swift, for example, has made it across the, the other side of the board to be quote-unquote mm-hmm. queened and can uh, decide her own career moves and revenue strategies. Of course, not everybody has got that kind of power. The vast majority of artists remain in play to the tune of the power players, and it should be the other way around. You know, And, and I don't disagree with that, I think, but, but let's not make the labels uh, the bad guys. You know, if they've signing 10 artists, maybe one of those is going to be successful and they're investing money in these things. And it's a business, Mm -hmm. right? It's a business. It it is a business. So anyway, the the last thing I'll say on this is that uh, this, this great quote near the end of the article that any system that does not reward the creators at the heart of its value will eventually fail or be replaced. And I I think Keith is right. And, uh, what, what a really interesting piece, you know, there, there's all of the, um, all of the talk that's going on in the UK as we wait to see, um, how that goes. And we'll talk about that in the next story a little bit, but a brilliant piece piece by uh, Keith Jopling. Well, and what I liked about this article, as well as the article we're going to talk about at the, the last article, uh, they're, they're both very concise articles that really break down, uh, very complex subjects into, 
super bite-sized pieces, basically three things. And so, uh, cause the, the, the fourth article we're talking about is the three facts about streaming music payouts. And then this is essentially three things to fix streaming. Yeah. So both very good articles with a, a very easy, easy to read and kind of top level, great yeah. simplicity basically yeah. of, Again, complex subjects. Yeah. <laughs> they did a really look, good job. It's it's nice that smart people are trying to uh, make this so we can all understand uh, all of this, which leads us beautifully into the next piece um, from Bruce Houghton over at uh, Hypebot. The yeah. truth behind Apple Music's higher payouts plus five key takeaways from its open letter to artists. And if you haven't read it, we posted this in your morning coffee. Apple put out this open letter to artists. And one of the things that they shared in that letter is that they pay artists, you know, about a penny per stream. And immediately there was a lot of backlash uh, about that. (laughs) As you might well imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And so as they say, um, you know, the formula that Apple Music uses to pay creators and labels is almost exactly the same as that Spotify uses for its paid subscribers. Okay, so let's start with that. So if that's if that's the case, then how does it work out that Apple pays a penny, whereas they pay whatever, a third of a penny or a fraction of a penny? And of course, one of the first things that you just kind of head slap is, oh yeah, Spotify has a free ad-supported tier. Mm-hmm. Apple Music does not. So ad-supported users contribute far less to royalty payments as well to Spotify's bottom line. So first of all... So you're comparing apples to oranges or as like my friend Jeff always says... No pun intended. You're you're comparing apples to chainsaws. That's right. (laughs) That's a better line, actually. Yeah, so it starts with that. So... Okay, so yes, I guess at a 10,000-foot level, (laughs) Apple is paying more per stream, but of course there is no free tier. So... It starts with that. And by the way, you could probably almost have ended with that because that's, of course, the case. And so, um, yeah. And then the other thing, too, is which which I had not thought about, to be honest, which is it has also been long believed that the average Apple Music subscriber listens to music uh, to less music than the average Spotify user. Yeah. Uh, many Apple's music subscribers choose the service because uh, it comes preloaded on their phone and other Apple products. Downloaded using and paying for Spotify is a conscious choice often made by a more serious fan of music. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to, I have a slight, I, I think it's probably a different demographic as well, quite frankly, just in terms of age. And I don't know what, what your sense of that is too, but my, my feeling is that there's, if you look, and I don't know, I've never seen actually any, any, any uh, demographic information comparing the two, but my guess is that the, an Apple music consumer is because they're li- more likely an Apple consumer in terms of Apple products, probably, uh, probably a little bit older, probably a little bit more established, things like that. So it's a, you really are again, apples and chainsaws. It's, it's maybe not quite that drastic, but maybe this is more like apples and strawberries. It's, uh, it's different, <laughs> different users. I'm not sure they're less serious of, of yeah of music fans but well maybe they, they are you know this is this is the thing that jumped out at me uh from this piece more than anything else was you know that they they're saying that the average apple music subscriber listens to less music than the average spotify user and you know i've heard uh anecdotally that there's certain genres that do better on one than the other mm-hmm. um i don't have any hard you know, facts about it. But I thought that was really, really interesting. And, you know, that 
that open letter to artists that Apple sent out, um, Bruce highlighted some of the things from that, and I want to run through a couple of those. So, one, as we mentioned, you know, Apple um, paid an average of one cent per stream for individual paid plans last year. So that's not, you know, family plans. Um, Apple Music paid the same 52% of revenue rate to all labels regardless of their size. Okay. Um, 2020 royalties were paid for more than 5 million recording artists worldwide. And the number of artists generating recording and publishing royalties over a million per year increased more than 120%. And again, when they say the number of artists generating recording and publishing royalties, it's not paid. I know we say this every week. It's not paid to the artists. It's paid to the rights holders. And that's that's a really key point in, in all of this. And then the last one is the number of artists that generate more than $50,000 per year has more than doubled in the same time period. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and Spotify had some um, stats uh, similar, similar to this that we, we yeah. reviewed a few weeks ago. So I think the bottom line though, it, it's, I, I listen, I, Apple was smart to do that because they were basically capitalizing on all the blowback that Spotify was getting last, last couple of weeks, last couple of months, actually. Um, yeah. But when you, when you really get out the magnifying glass, it is, again, it's sort of different. And, you know, it's all more or less handled the same way. And how it, how it sifts out at the end, it, it depends on who's, who's listening and how much and things like that. Yeah. So, and, you know, again, we talk, we've talked about this all the time, which is, you know, it's, it's, you can't overstate how different the business is now from, let's say, a generation ago in terms of the flood of content that's out there. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it, it, you can't really go back in time and say, well, you know, artists used to make this. Well, it's like, yeah, but there were so many fewer artists yeah. making so much fewer, so yeah, fewer music tracks. Yeah. And so it's just a gigantic it was a amount of game. choices. And I had a really interesting yeah. conversation with a friend of mine about the differences between streaming and physical sales in that, you know, when you bought an album, um, whether you listened to it once or a thousand times, that was one sale. And mm-hmm. with streaming, you know, it's now you've got this micro data, you know, that if you've streamed it, you know, 30 seconds or more, you're going to get paid on it. And then with, with Spotify, they have that kind of that running counter. So it says, oh, your track's got a million streams. And they're, I think they're the only ones that do that. I'm trying to think if anybody else has that. I know, you know, back in the day with iTunes, it had that progress bar. So you could see mm-hmm. the most popular yes. tracks. But I wish they'd get rid of it because it's really now it's competition, that it's something that people are trying to game the system because they want that number bigger when what they really should want are more people listening to it, real people, not bots and spin farms, but real people listening to it and real engagement, not just jacking numbers up for the sake of having higher numbers. So it's you're right. It's a, it's a crazy new business. And, you know, it's evolving very, very quickly. And that, that's a really good segue into um, this next piece by, uh, for HypeBot by our friend Bobby Osinski. Um, and it just carries this a step further. And the headline is Three Facts About Streaming Music Payouts. And I think this is really important because there's so much confusion and misinformation about the complexities of how streaming works and how it pays out. You and I could talk for hours on that. So what happens is you read these articles 
and someone will say, well, you know, you only get this much per stream. Well, it, it varies. You don't get that much per stream. You know, it, it depends by month mm-hmm. and by how many subscribers and how many people are listening and, and all of that stuff. And then those payouts, as we've mentioned, are not paid directly to artists. They go to the rights holders, which is typically the labels. And then you have to look at those deals. So let's let's dig into um, Bobby's piece, and I'll just start with the, with his intro. He says, in the wake of Apple Music's letter that was sent out last week concerning streaming royalties, there seems to be some fresh and continued confusion circulating about how streaming payouts are calculated and what may or may not make a streaming platform the more or less ethical listening choice. Yeah, so one of the things he mentioned, obviously, is no one gets paid on a per-stream basis. Number one, let's repeat that. No one gets paid on a per-stream basis. That's just an easy way to calculate something that's difficult to quantify. You actually get paid on market share, meaning that the more streams you have, the more each stream is worth. Again, that's worth repeating. The more streams you have, the more each stream is worth. Also, the more total streams there are per month, the less each stream pays out. Exactly. Since Apple Music has fewer total streams, its per-stream payout will always seem higher than Spotify. You can see how Apple's royalty letter clouds that picture somewhat. Yeah. What a but, great you know, paragraph that, right there. Exactly, that, right that there. That is missing from a lot of the conversation. So Absolutely. I highly encourage uh, folks, this is one of those articles that you and I talk about that you, you print out and you pin on your bulletin board. Yes, and that's refer right. Back Absolutely. So number two, two artists with the same number of streams will get different payouts. And, and Bobby goes on to say that, that that's even from the same service. Why? You get paid a different rate from the free ad supported tier than from the paid tier. If one artist has more streams from the paid tier, they'll make more money because the money pool in that tier was larger. Also, the country where the stream comes from matters. Since subscription rates are lower from the standard $9.99 in many countries, the payout will be lower for the same number of streams. In most of your streams, you know, from India with a subscription rate for Spotify of around $2 per month, for example, you'll get paid a lot less than for the same number of streams coming from the U.S. Right. Again, print that out. That's really, really interesting. And then number three, (laughs) as we've often talked about, There's a middleman, or there could be a middleman, or a middlewoman, or a middle person taking a big portion of the payout. If you're signed to a label, it may be taking as much as 80% of the payout coming from any streaming service. Superstars might push that to a rate of 50%, but that still means that the final royalties paid to the artist are less than what it seems to be on the surface. Same with a publisher, which might be taking as much as 50% of the royalty income from that stream as well. Bottom line is that there's a huge amount of money being generated from streaming, but the artists and songwriters are seeing a small portion of it. I will add, maybe, maybe, depends on what your deal is. And so it's really hard to generalize when you talk about how different and where you are. Let's say you're signed to a major label or a major publisher. It all depends on what sort of advances you might have taken and how you recouped and lots and lots of different things. Um, 
So it's really, really, uh, and I, you know, I, I'm sure that that number of 80, as much as 80% coming from any streaming service is not being given to you. That could be certainly true for lots of artists, but not necessarily. Yeah, so, you can't paint everybody with that one broad stroke because it, it no. varies so much. And I don't know if you saw this last week. I, th- I think I emailed this to you yesterday. Um, I got a, um, a survey from Spotify to fill out. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> One of the um, areas was about some of their initiatives. And you and I talk a lot about Spotify's innovation. And there was a nice piece a week or two ago that we we did a deep dive into. But I wanted to run through a couple of these just because I thought they were interesting. So in this survey, uh, the question is, have you heard of the following Spotify initiatives and offerings to creators? And when you see them all in one space... It's really powerful. Like, for example, here, here are a few of the ones that they, they list there. And again, you know, have you heard of these initiatives? One is Sound Better, the leading music uh-huh. production marketplace helping musicians worldwide connect and hire top music pros. Uh, the next one is Your Month on Spotify. These are emails that recap your month on Spotify and say you've gained this many fans, this many listeners, that sort of thing. I love those emails. Um, especially during a release cycle, you can see what's going on in a, in a snapshot. The next one is Ad Studio, the self-service platform for purchasing audio ads on Spotify's free tier, their ad-supported tier. Um, Behind the Streams, the monthly newsletter with the latest from Spotify for Artists. Um, Spotify for Artists blog, the latest Spotify for Artists news and updates for artists and their teams. And, and I could go on and on. There's like another six or seven of these that as I was looking this over, I'm like, these folks are really working to oh, have amazing. a relationship with the creators. It's pretty amazing. And, and I mean, you checked yes for all of them. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I didn't know about Sound Better. The, the music production marketplace. I did not know about that. Yeah, well, the now, only reason I, should... I do is, you know, I do your morning coffee, the newsletter, yeah, and I'm reading press releases every week and digging into it. And now that you and I have this wonderful podcast, which this is episode 37, right? Yes, it is. Holy cow. Anyway, what, what's great about that is now you, I'm sure you'll have them burned into your brain as well because we're talking about them or reading about them. But when you look yeah. at them all together, this is pretty impressive. It really is. And again, that's the, um, uh, you know, they are leading the charge with all of these things. And they, but as we've kind of said, in many ways they have to, you know, so Apple, Apple wants to, wants to have a great music service, but they're not going to live and die on the success of, of Apple. Do you music. have it in front of you? Did uh, you open it up? I did. Well, yeah. You, you want to um, read off a couple ones that I, I didn't cover? Cause there's so many great ones on here. Let's see, uh, the game plan, videos that help you get the most out of Spotify. Those are really cool. You can go on there and, and watch little videos, and they give you tutorials. Promo cards, a site to customize and download promotional assets for your music. Uh, Marquees, the new release campaign tool currently available in beta. And Marquee I mean, is that, you know, on the free tier, that banner across the top, and it's also uh, an email that's sent out. It's, it's a pretty cool program. Uh, they got Canvas, short looping visuals. We I think we've talked yep, about that. Yep. You can add to your tracks on Spotify. Collab, Spotify for artists, event series, and podcasts. That collab thing, uh, that was really yeah. cool. Um, my friend Cameo Carlson, um, who runs mm-hmm. M Theory out of Nashville, she was on one of those. It was really great. It's basically like a, 
a panel discussion and you get smart people like Cameo on there talking about the business. So I highly encourage people to uh, check out Collabs. And then Loud and Clear, a Spotify initiative to provide transparency and clarity on the streaming economy. We've talked about that, of course. And that was a, a gigantic initiative, to say the least, for them. Uh, and Notable, Spotify for artists' home for songwriters, producers, and publishers. Notable. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that one yeah. either. So um, it's, it's some great stuff. Pretty impressive, I mean, right? It really is great stuff. Uh, very impressive. Absolutely very impressive. So I do tip my hat to them for continually innovating. And, um, you know, like I said, they have to, though. They've, they've, uh, they're the leader, market leaders, and they have a different urgency than, let's say, Apple Music does, yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jay, it's about time to wrap up the episode. Can you believe it? Always goes By the way, I, I want, we, we sometimes talk about uh, doc, music documentaries. Have you seen the Taylor Swift uh, folklore documentary no. that's on Disney Plus, I think? No. It's really interesting. It it's, it's, wasn't as great as I was hoping, but it's very interesting and um, shot beautifully. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, and you know, of course, she made that record with Jack Antonoff and uh, Aaron Desner from The National, and they're both in it. It shows them kind of performing the songs. And, and stuff, where did you see it? Really, it's on Apple? It's on Disney+. Oh, Plus. Disney Plus. It's on Disney+. Thank Plus. you. Yeah. I, look, I will watch any music documentary, whether it's, Heavy metal, Me classical, opera, country. I love music documentaries. I just love seeing yeah. behind the curtain, so to speak. Um, and you always come up with the best documentaries. So I will definitely watch. Well, there's a Taylor lot of great Swift. ones. A lot of great ones. And not a, like everything. There's not enough hours in the day to watch all the great music documentaries that are out there. So yeah. uh, as we wrap it up, Jay, how about if we just have a big a thousand thank yous to Hypebot, Bands in Town, and Banzuko. Boy, we couldn't do it without we appreciate them. We it. really, 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 really appreciate that. And uh, let's wrap up uh, episode 37. Have a good rest of your weekend, Jay. Uh, you and too, uh, folks, thank you all for listening. This has been episode number 37. And we'll be back next week with 38 on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.